You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us join our hearts in prayer. Our gracious God, this Lent, may we be taught from you to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Teach us, our gracious God, to be humble servants and always to be available for our neighbor. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. I've entitled my three messages, Stranger Things from the Old Testament. Yesterday, we learned about God's people as God's segula, God's treasured possession. This morning, we will hear the famous story about Uzzah trying to correct the ark as it was going to fall and what happened to him. And tomorrow we will hear about the talking donkey in the Old Testament. So, from 2 Samuel chapter 6, they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it to the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went in front of the ark. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him there because he reached out his hand to the ark, and he died there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord had burst forth with an outburst upon Uzzah, so that the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, how can the ark of the Lord come into my care? So David was unwilling to take the ark of the Lord into his care in the city of David. Instead, David took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Many Christians would see the Christian life as a movement from fear to love. Now, that's a therapeutic approach to faith. But it is one that I think we can all understand. Many people's lives are empty and meaningless because they are enveloped in fears and anxieties. Surely, in the church, we can affirm that the gospel comes to set us free from fear because it offers us a God with whom we can entrust our lives. But as I think about moving from fear to love, I couldn't help but be reminded of the reformer Martin Luther 
and his explanations to the Ten Commandments in the small catechism. Luther explains every commandment with the phrase, we should fear and love God. Now, this is no outlier on Luther's part. It's quite ecumenical, quite Catholic. Long before Luther, St. Bernard of Clairvaux emphasized the people of faith must fear and love God. He said that you couldn't really know yourself unless you did. Luther noted that we should fear and love God so that we honor God above all things and not merely use God in our own self-interest. Or we shouldn't hurt our neighbors in any way, but instead seek to help them. If so many today seek to move from fear to love, then why does Luther tell us both to fear and to love? Is this really what hurting people need to hear? What could the reformer, or St. Bernard for that matter, possibly mean? And how does he speak to us today? When we hear Luther and Bernard telling us to fear God, perhaps we remember pastors and teachers who have told us that what this really means is that we should respect God rather than be terrified by God. In our contemporary setting, it is tempting for me to reinforce this reading of Luther and St. Bernard for you. If they really meant that we should actually be afraid of God rather than merely having a healthy respect for God, then perhaps some people might leave church feeling bad about themselves. And the vast majority of us wouldn't want that. We've come to believe that a chief mission of the church is to help people feel good about themselves. We associate the bad old days with a view of religion as repressive. Religion that shames people or makes them feel guilty. Indeed, some Christians thought that they had an inside track back in the days into God's ways. In their opinion, they could discern who, how, and why God was punishing someone. They were happy to tell people what they supposedly knew. We can be grateful that these traits are lessening amongst Christians. But I was curious as to what Luther specifically really meant despite what we might want him to mean. In reading his conclusion to the Ten Commandments, he makes his meaning quite clear. God threatens to punish all who transgress these commandments. We should therefore fear his wrath and not disobey these commandments. On the other hand, he promises grace and every blessing to all who keep them. We should therefore love him, trust in him, and cheerfully do what he has commanded. I doubt St. Bernard would disagree. It doesn't sound to me that Luther actually means what we call respect when he talks about fear. It seems he really means fear when he says fear, specifically fear of punishment due to sins. This must sound awfully strange to us. 
we have long come to think of God as one who has unconditional positive regard for us. A God who never threatens us because God is only capable of affirming us. After all, isn't it God's business to forgive as the French Enlightenment thinker Voltaire taught us? We don't want people to feel bad about themselves in church. However, don't we inhibit the chances or opportunities for people to actually repent of their sins if all we ever want to offer them is a God who is affirming and never holds people accountable? Isn't there a good chance that if I truly repent of my sin, I just might have felt bad about myself? It seems that the kind of religion that we have invented is the one with which H. Richard Niebuhr described as offering a God without wrath who brings people without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. Even in our current cultural climate in which we tend to think that no one should feel bad about themselves, shouldn't we at least feel bad about the wrong behaviors we have done? Shouldn't we fear God's anger at our sin? Wouldn't God care enough to stand up for the victims we have hurt or wronged? In our reading, David learned to fear God. And it seems this was a good thing. For David to fear God was for him to understand a truth that if God is to be honored, God must be honored for his own sake and not just because of what he can do for us. Uzzah saw the ark slipping. God's ark He took this to mean that God needed his help. He assumed that if he didn't help God, the ark would fall. It would get soiled. It might even break. This holy thing containing God's ten commandments might touch the earth and become dirtied or muddied. The ark is properly God's. But from Uzzah's view, It's a symbol of his, shall we say, our religion. We can't afford to have it broken or soiled. It represents our values, not just God's deity. In his own view, Uzzah is doing God a favor. What Uzzah doesn't understand is that God is Lord, even over his own ark. God doesn't need our favors. Perhaps Uzzah is inclined to look at God as needing his help because he primarily looks at God as there to service him and provide for his perceived needs. If we look at the ark as a symbol of our religion, that's exactly how we'd be troubled by the prospect of the ark falling. Aren't we a lot like Uzzah? We want our religion to help us feel good about ourselves. We are inclined to react negatively to a faith that accuses us of our wrongs. We want our religion to bring cohesiveness 
to our values, our politics, our ideals, our families, and our communities. Now, many of our values are good and wholesome. Nevertheless, they must be tested and evaluated in light of God's will. God provides the standard of justice and truth. We, after all, are apt to create idols that heighten our own sense of power and secure our own future. That's why we need to look to God. We want our religion to justify our politics, whether it is the politics of the right or the left. We assume that Jesus would be on our side in the various debates that rock our era. We want our religion to provide for our needs of belonging and community. We want it to serve as a kind, a social club for us. But will we sell out on our discipleship to Christ in order to provide for our own perceived needs? Perhaps in our society today, we have too much fear about fear. Maybe fear isn't always a bad thing. My Aunt Marie told me very clearly when I was about six years old not to touch the hot burner on the stove. Of course, what do you think I did? You know the answer. Through this experience, I learned a healthy fear for heat and electricity. From one perspective, couldn't we even say that some kinds of fear are natural motivators that God gave us in order to help us survive various dangers in life. Nevertheless, Jesus tells us that many of the things we usually fear are things that are not worthy of our fear. He bids us instead to fear alone Him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Perhaps many of the things we fear in this life are things we spend far too much effort and time fearing, and the one whom we should fear because we are totally and wholly accountable to him, we don't fear enough. Instead, we deface God by rendering him harmless. Our temptation, like Uzzah's, is to use God for our own interests as if we are the center of it all. We lie to ourselves by trying to control what's not in our control and let ourselves off the hook in those things that we are responsible for. The ark is God's, not us's, and not ours. If God wants the ark or even the church to fall, then so be it. To have a healthy fear of God is to honor God for his own sake. When Moses encountered God on Sinai's heights, he was duly afraid. When Isaiah encountered God in the temple, he was duly afraid. When Paul encountered the risen Jesus on the Damascus road, he too was duly afraid. If we never have similar experiences, do we really ever encounter the living God of Scripture? To fear God is to acknowledge that he is the Lord and not we ourselves. To encounter the living God is to recognize that we are creatures. It is to recognize that we have no bargaining chips with the powerful one. In things that really matter, he calls all the shots. However, if God is the Lord, 
then we are free from the attempt to rule over ourselves, be our own lords or ladies for ourselves. Instead, as Psalm 100 tells us, we can be the sheep of his pasture. Indeed, what's the context of the Ten Commandments if not God's covenant with his people? God's covenant claims his people as his own. So Luther says we should fear and love God. We should fear God because we are not God and we shouldn't even try to be God. We have to accept God's decision to run the world his way. This Uzzah could not do. And because God claims us as his own, as the one who promises his very own life to us, eternal life, we can love God. From this view, we should not assume that even as a sin of disbelief could separate him from this God who makes promises. God says no to our sin just so that he can say yes to us as his creatures. And in so doing, make us anew. If Luther is right that God is indeed at times an angry God, angry at our sins, angry at the evil we inflict on others and even the earth, angry at the injustices and disrespect that we perpetuate and perpetrate, this is only because God is a caring God. A parent who never gets angry with his or her children, probably a parent who doesn't really love them. Because God is love and offers himself to Jesus Christ, God cares enough to say no to our evil. Indeed, our attempts to mold religion or spirituality to fit our comfort zone. To fear God as well as to love God is to be in touch with who God really is. And to be in touch with God permits us to be in touch with the truth about ourselves. To fear and love God allows us to fear earthly problems far less because God's power and care is able to put all these problems in perspective. The only way any little ounce of love for God could ever arise in us is due solely to this promise. For Jesus' sake, your sins, all of them, every last one of them, are forgiven you. And so to make this as clear as can be this morning, I announce to you in the name of Jesus and for the sake of his death, all who repent and believe, your sins are forgiven. You are free in Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.